Salt is a monthly podcast about software developers who work on Apple platforms to create client products. Join us each month as we talk business, Swift, Objective-C, contracts, App Store, and all things Apple. I'm your host, David Kopeck. Welcome to the December episode of Consult. Thanks for joining us again. Wow, we have had an incredible first six months on Consult. You know, really the podcast has exceeded all of my expectations in terms of listenership, in terms of the quality of guests we've been able to attract, in terms of the feedback we've been getting. I mean, really everything has just been stupendous. And um, I can't say enough to my guests because I really owe them uh, the success of the podcast. It's uh, really, it's each and every one of them and the great interviews that they've done that has kept the podcast having some momentum going into the end of the year. So we're going to try something a little bit different. We're going to try our first topical episode. Um, We're going to talk about software licensing, something that's very relevant in the world of open source. And of course, it's very rare to see an iOS or Mac app without some kind of open source component being utilized within it. And I think that a lot of consultants are not aware enough about the restrictions that some of these open source licenses place on them when they choose to utilize software that's licensed under them. So that's going to be our main topic of conversation. But before we get into that, I want to go back and look at some of the great episodes that we had in the last few months. So my first real guest on the show was Tobias Dumonk. Tobias was brave enough to be the first real guest on the show, and I'm grateful to him for taking that leap. We had a wide-ranging and very interesting discussion, covering everything from his interesting path into consulting to business differences between the USA and his native Denmark. Tobias piqued listeners' interest and really set a great precedent for future episodes of the show. So if you want to check out my interview with Tobias, check out episode two of Consult. That was our first real episode. The first original episode was just me. So that was our first interview episode, and Tobias couldn't have set um, a better bar for, for the guests that followed. I, we really lucked out. Um, so then episode three was Manton Reese. Now, Manton Reese is something of a celebrity in the iOS community, of course. I mean, people know him. People know his blog, Manton.org. People know Core Intuition, his popular podcast with Daniel Jalcut, um, and which I highly recommend, by the way. If you're not a listener of Core Intuition, you should definitely check it out because it's Uh, just one of the most top-notch developer and specifically iOS and Mac developer podcasts around. Of course, not exactly in the same niche as Consult, but um, if you listen to Consult, you'd probably enjoy Core Intuition as well. But I captured Manton um, at a very, very interesting time because he was just transitioning out of his full-time job and being part-time indie to being full-time indie. And part of him being full-time indie was taking on consulting projects. So Manton was just getting into the world of consulting in a big way. He had done some consulting projects over the past decade, but he hadn't made it one of his main sources of income. So we had a really fascinating discussion about how he's approaching that and um, how he's balancing doing this new consulting work with the indie work, which like a lot of consultants, a lot of us, we ultimately have the dream of being just fully... um, independent software developers that have our own products. And that I think that is ultimately Manton's goal as well. And understanding how he's balancing 
working towards that goal with this um, consulting career that he's expanded as well was really the crux of that episode. And so if you want to see my interview, rather hear my interview with Manton Reese, please check out episode three of Consult. That was really a great one. And in fact, for a long time, that was our most listened to episode, not surprising, uh, given how well-known Manton is. Um, Then episode four, we again had a very, very well-known member of the um, iOS and Mac community, Marcus Zara. So Marcus Zara is a true software development and Apple platform veteran. Uh, He's venerated for his wide-ranging knowledge. I mean, whether it's on his well-known blog, um, whether it's been as the leader of a large, well-known Mac and iOS consulting firm, or whether it's as the author of popular books, uh, he's truly made his mark on the community. Um, He comes with probably the most wealth of experience in the consulting realm of any of these guests, and he really was able to demonstrate that throughout the interview. I mean, there were so many incredible nuggets of wisdom that came from Marcus. So if you're somebody like me, who's just been getting into consulting the last couple of years, uh, Marcus is an incredible resource. I mean, you should check out his blog. You should definitely check out the episode. Um, And he also has nuanced and very uh, deliberate opinions on a lot of technical issues that you can really trust. Because he's been, not to say that he's, you know, uh, uh, old or anything, but he's been around the block when it comes to consulting. He's really um, understood the kind of issues that we face on a day-to-day basis with client products and how to manage them from a technical perspective. You know, one of the number one things I took away from my uh, conversation with Marcus was how he said um, the prototype needs to be as polished as the final product. Some of us, we get into projects sometimes where we think we're building an MVP and that's going to be maybe a throwaway or that's just going to be a proof of concept. But Marcus knows from experience that really what you think is a proof of concept ends up getting layers built on top of it. You you have the original prototype that you might think is just kind of this, um, this demonstration. And then really, no, that's your technical foundation. That's the beginning. Everything else needs to build on top of that. So you need to make sure that that initial quote-unquote prototype is really ready for prime time. And um, that's, that's advice that I've really started to take to heart in my uh, projects. And then in episode five, we had Michael Fellows. And Michael is a fast-rising star in both the iOS and Android consulting world. Uh, over the last three years, he's built up Broadway Lab, which he's grown from him working solo to being a six-person team in just three years. I mean, that's pretty incredible growth. Um, And I know a lot of us, including myself, challenge about growing the business beyond um, just maybe a couple people that we're subcontracting with. How do you go from one, two, three people to a half dozen and growing? And that's really what our episode was all about. Um, And for only being in it, only in the game for three years, I thought um, Michael just had some incredible insights in the episode. Um, There was really a lot of wisdom there. And um, we'd all like to duplicate his rapid rise. And maybe if we take a little bit of the advice in that episode to heart, we can do it. It's an interesting space, right? Because if you think about the episodes I've had, you have people like myself and Tobias who are basically solo independent developers Um, You have Manton, who kind of is just getting into the space in a much bigger way. You have Marcus, who's been the lead of one of the biggest 
uh, iOS consulting companies there is. And then you have Michael, who's at this in-between size of about a half dozen. So we've really had guests so far that are every stage in building a company in the iOS and Mac consulting world. So that's been really great and um, a real honor. I, I have to say that. And that is the right word, honor. It's been an absolute honor to have all of these guests on. Uh, and they all contributed something a little bit different and a little bit more interesting. So I want to tell you where we're going next. Okay, so I have guests booked for January, February, and tentatively March as well. And that's really exciting. I mean, I actually, uh, one of these guests came to me. So that's that means things are getting good on consult. I mean, if we're starting to have inbounds coming to us, um, I've had a couple actually, um, that, that means that the podcast is really starting to take off, which is just excellent. And I want to thank all of you for listening because obviously, you know, if nobody was listening, there would be no interest in uh, these guests coming on. So that's been really great as well. Um, but what we're going to try today is our first topical episode. Now, I'm going to try doing this one myself. We'll see how it works. It's a bit of an experiment. Okay, I'd love to get your feedback. If you think it's awful, please tell me. You know, sometimes, I think Marcus said this, sometimes the best feedback you get is actually negative feedback, right? Because if all you're getting is positive feedback, then really um, you're just in an echo chamber, right? So getting some negative feedback on the show, and you know, there has been some great feedback that's come in. It's mostly been positive. But early on in the first couple episodes, a couple of people emailed me and told me, you know, the sound quality was not very good. So I've worked to improve that, and I hope that, that you've seen those improvements in the show. But definitely about what we're doing today with our first topical episode, non-interview episode, I would definitely love to get your feedback, both positive and negative. So our topic today is about open source licensing and what you need to be aware of when you include an open source project inside your code. So let's say you're building an app, um, it's a consulting project for a client and you really wanna include this open source component. One of the first things you should be looking at is what is the license that that open source component is released under. Now, I have to preface all of the rest of our discussion by saying I am not a lawyer, okay? Do not take my advice as um, legal advice, okay? These are just general understandings that I have of these issues. I'm also not an expert on these issues. I've certainly encountered them over the years. I've certainly been a person who's always been interested in reading up on them, but I'm definitely not an expert. So take everything that I say about open source software licensing with a grain of salt, okay? But hopefully it's a good way to get a discussion going in your consulting firm um, about how to approach these issues. So uh, without further ado, let's talk about one of the biggest issues, which is that the software has a license to begin with, okay? One thing you should never do is just because something's open source, feel like you right away have the ability to include that in your project, okay? Just because the code is out there, that doesn't give you the right to take it and put it in your project. Now, I don't know how international copyright laws work, but here in the US, when someone writes software, it's covered automatically by copyright law as long as they, um, they, they publish it. I mean, it's actually any work you create uh, any written work you create is automatically covered by copyright law here in the U.S., unless you actually go out of your way to release it into the public domain and such. Um, so if there is no license, that means all rights are reserved by the author unless it says otherwise. So you should never include an open source component in your own software that doesn't have 
a license that comes with it. That just doesn't pass a smell test. Okay, so you have something that does have a license. What do the various licenses mean? And how do they relate to your requirements as far as um, you ending up, you holding up, excuse me, your side of the bargain with regards to that license? So there's two main categories of licenses, open source software licenses. There's copyleft licenses, and then there's also permissive licenses. So we'll talk about later on some examples of both, but let's talk about in general terms what these two uh, buzzwords mean. So a copyleft license is a license that requires that either the, the software that is including the open source component be released under the same license or that it has some kind of requirement to also be open source itself. So this is called a viral license because some people, and I guess it's kind of a negative connotation, think about it as infection, that you, you, you include this open source component inside your software, and now your software also needs to be open source or also needs to be covered under this license. So obviously that's a problem for apps where you don't want to release the source code. Now, we could talk about Richard Stallman and um, you know this whole the whole free software movement and how some people believe that all software should be quote unquote free and um, therefore that it's not even ethical to have any software that's not free. Okay, and by the way, we're talking about free as in freedom, not free as in beer. Right, that's an important distinction that um, that is often made by the free software movement. And I want you to also remember that free software in terms of freedom is not necessarily the same thing as open source. The, the terms have a little bit of nuance between them. Open source is a little bit of a simpler term. It simply means that the source code is available. And both of these terms do not mean um, free as in beer. Okay, so free as in beer means something is literally free. You don't have to pay for it. Oftentimes they go hand in hand. You see a lot of open source projects that, of course, there's no fee to use them. But technically, there could be a open source project that required a license fee to actually include in your own software. And of course, projects like that do exist. So you need to be careful about that as well. Uh, make sure you're always following all the terms of the license and compensating anybody who requires compensation. But in terms of the iOS world, that's really the exception. The vast majority of iOS open source projects are both free as in beer and also free as in free software and also meet the definition of open source, of course, as well. So what are the, so we were talking about the, um, the dangers of including a copy left open source component inside your project if you don't want your project source code to also be open source. Let's talk about some examples. Maybe you're working on a client and they simply don't want their project to be open source. Um, for whatever reason, you know, they might have their own internal reasons for that. Maybe you're working on a project of your own, an indie project, and you just don't want other people to be cloning your source code. Maybe you want to keep that a, um, a secret, right? And that's, that's your right. That's absolutely your right. But it's not your right if you include a component that's licensed under these copyleft licenses. If you include a component that's licensed under a copyleft license, you gave up some of your rights in that you now have to release perhaps your source code under the same license or make it open source itself, depending on which copyleft license we're talking about. So the most famous of the copyleft licenses is the GPL. 
And there's multiple different versions of the GPL. There's a GPL v1, GPL v2, GPL v3. Um, there are nuanced differences between each of these versions that if you're actually using GPL software, you should be aware of. But no matter which version of the license you're including, um, you need to be aware that it is a viral license and therefore your software must also be open source. And I believe open source under the GPL as well, if you include GPL source code directly in your source. Now, there's a version of the GPL called the LGPL. And you've probably seen this. It's sometimes called the lesser GPL. And you might be wondering, well, what's the difference between the lesser GPL and the actual GPL? LGPL software you can link to in your own projects without being required to release your source code as well. So the GPL itself and the LGPL are both published by the Free Software Foundation. That's the same foundation that Richard Stallman leads. So you can kind of understand where their perspective is coming from. To be fair, Richard Stallman is a bit of a radical figure. He believes all software should be free, which maybe to him is not a radical idea, but to people like um, Microsoft or Apple who make money on some of their software being closed source and being proprietary, um, it is a bit radical. And so you'll notice that um, Apple over the years in a lot of their open source projects have been moving away from including GPL software. One really big example of that is the GCC compiler that um, used to be part of the compiler infrastructure you used on OS X back in the early days. Um, and Apple moved to LLVM, which is a BSD license project instead of GPL. So that allows them a lot more flexibility, but there's also technical reasons why they moved as well. Um, but anyway, so LGPL, GPL, both published by the Free Software Foundation, but a very significant difference between the two. And an interesting note, the GPL was actually originally created by Richard Stallman himself. So he has his personal hand in its guidance and in its um, continued success, really, because it is widely used. The Linux kernel uses the GPL license. Um, a lot of really big projects, we mentioned GCC, use the GPL license. And most of the software uh, from GNU or GNU or GNU, depending on how you pronounce it, I've, I've seen it always, um, is licensed under the GPL, if not all of it, in fact. So that's the copy left world. But actually, I would say the majority of iOS and Mac open source projects are not licensed under copyleft licenses. The vast majority, in fact, I believe, are licensed under the MIT license. And I think statistics on GitHub, I've seen bear that out. So the MIT license is a permissive license. So we're contrasting two different kinds of licenses here. We have the copyleft licenses, and now we're talking about the permissive licenses, which basically let you do whatever you want with a few very minor stipulations. So the MIT license literally says that you can do whatever you want with this source code as long as you copy the license itself and give attribution to the original author in any derivative works. So it's basically just saying, hey, here, I'm putting this out there. You do what you want with it, but you attribute this original license to the component that was originally in it. Doesn't require you to release your source code. So what does attribution mean? 
Well, let's say you have an MIT licensed component, which if you're using almost any open source iOS project, you probably do, okay? Um, and you include it in your proprietary closed source app. And now you publish that app to the app store. By the terms of the MIT license, you need to actually include a little disclaimer that somewhere in your app, it could be in the about screen. If it's a Mac app, I guess it could be in an accompanying readme file um, that says you have this component that was copyright, whoever it's copyright and released under the MIT license included in your app. And then you need to reproduce the text of the license. That's all you need to do. You don't need to release your source code. It doesn't tell you what license your software needs to be released under. It's not viral in any way like that. It basically lets you do whatever you want as long as you include the license for that component that you included and give attribution to the original copyright holder. Not a very big deal, but in fact, I've seen so many cases of people just not following the license. I've seen so many pieces of software that include, proprietary software that include MIT licensed um, components inside of them but don't actually give credit to the original author and don't duplicate the MIT license itself, which really, I don't know if it, you're really going to get sued for it, but it's really wrong. It's, it's unethical because, I mean, they, the person who created this MIT licensed um, open source project, and by the way, I license all of my own open source projects under the MIT license, was doing something really great for the community, right? He, he was giving it out or she was giving it out for free and letting you learn from it, letting you build on top of it. And the only thing that he or she asked you was that you need to give a little attribution and include the text of the original license. That's all they were requiring you. And then if you can't even do that little bit, I mean, that's really, uh, I think, a little shady. I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here because I have an anecdote about one of our guests that we've had on the show related to the MIT license. So Tobias Dumonk was the guest on episode two of Consult, and he had... He has a super popular open source iOS Mac project called Async. It's just a wrapper for Grand Central Dispatch, but it's really nicely done and it's super popular. I mean, we're talking like 3,000 stars on GitHub popular. Okay. Really well liked, really widely used. That's great. Um, and so, where do things turn bad? Well, this project comes up from this. Uh, not that well-known developer or anything called RunKit, and it's literally a duplicate of async. I looked at it myself, so I'm gonna vouch for this, okay? Line-by-line -line duplicate with a couple of the names changed, a couple of the comments removed, and then published to GitHub. And this duplicate project, which was clearly a plagiarism of async, was actually getting traction. Like it was getting hundreds of stars on GitHub and being mentioned in newsletters and nobody, you know, cared, I guess, or nobody knew really probably that, that this was a ripoff of Tobias Dumont's work. Really not fair to Tobias Dumont, right? Especially since um, someone is basically trying to get some notoriety and some uh, attention based on copying his work, right? Um, and, you know, what else do we really get from doing open source project except for a little bit of credit, Right. And, you know, that credit can be useful. I mean, that credit can maybe help you land a job. Maybe that credit can um, help you gain respect in the community and land projects as a consultant. So there's something to be said for that credit, right? 
And I know we live in a time where intellectual property rights are kind of looked not in the same way that maybe they were 10 years ago. And there's a whole culture of students coming up who really just don't care about intellectual property. But even if you don't care about intellectual property, it's still dishonest to take somebody else's work and call it your own. It just doesn't pass the basic level of honesty and decency that we should expect from people in our software development community, right? So a couple people did notice that RunKit was a complete duplicate of async, and they started posting issues on GitHub on the RunKit project page saying, hey, you're copying Tobias Dumont's work and you're not giving him credit. That's not right. You got, you got to give this guy some credit. You got to follow the MIT license, right? And you know what the guy who was running RunKit did? And there's no reason to, to rehash his name or anything like that. But he was just closing these issues, like as if they, you know, they didn't happen and just ignoring them. So he was really doing something pretty duplicitous, right? And then Tobias himself actually opened an issue. And he mentioned in the issue, rightly, that, hey, you're violating the legal license of async. You're violating the MIT license. And that got the RunKit um, guy's attention. That got a little bit of his attention. And then he included a disclaimer in, um, at the end of the project saying, this is basically a copy of async, which you know I guess he got scared a little bit, frankly, from, uh, I don't know, maybe being in legal trouble. But you know the reality is, was Tobias likely to sue him? No. But it is kind of an honor thing, right? So he included that. And then he, he said a very kind of obviously false thing, which he said, oh, I just created this project to, uh, because the namespace was conflicting within our organization, that the async namespace was conflicting within our organization. So I just wanted to rename it RunKit. But that's obviously not true because he rewrote the README file in, in his own words and he also made a banner for it, you know, a little graphic and everything. So he was obviously trying to advertise and get notoriety for it. So I don't buy that at all. But um, Tobias also filed a DMCA takedown um, digital, I think, what does that stand for? Digital Millennium Copyright Act, right? Takedown, uh, which GitHub allows you to do for situations exactly like this. And the DMCA, of course, is a very controversial law. And we could talk all day about whether or not it's, it's a correct law or a bad law. But the point is, it's actually useful in situations like this when someone is just totally ripping someone else off in, a, in the digital world. And so GitHub actually took down the RunKit repository. They responded to that DMCA notice and took down the RunKit repository. So you won't be able to find RunKit on GitHub anymore. Um, I wrote a whole blog post about this and I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes. It's called Open Source Plagiarism. But point being that this is a real life case of someone not following the terms of the MIT license and it actually coming back to bite them as I think it should. So right now, I guarantee you, you have some MIT licensed components in your uh, big app. If you have a big app, you're almost definitely using open source components as part of it. And those open source components, if they're iOS or Mac components, are almost definitely MIT licensed because the vast majority of open source iOS and Mac components are MIT licensed. So I want you right now to think about, are you giving proper attribution to the license? Are you properly crediting the original author? Because if you're not, I mean, that's, that's not right. So we have the MIT license, and then we have another very popular permissive license known as the BSD license. And this, of course, um, originates from the BSD project. The MIT license originates from, where do you expect? MIT, right? The, the great university. 
Um, and the BSD license originates from the BSD project and, and another great university, Berkeley, right? And it has two different versions. There's a two-clause BSD license, and there's also a three-clause BSD license. So the two-clause BSD license is very similar to the MIT license. The two-clause BSD license is almost identical to the BSD license. Um, you should, I'm, again, I'm not a lawyer, so I, I don't want to say they're completely identical. You should use your own judgment. But for most intents and purposes, it's the same thing. You got to give attribution. You got to include the terms of the license um, for the software component that you're including. There is also a three-term BSD license. And I believe there's other licenses that are kind of similar to it, like the artistic license. And what they say is that you have to actually be sure to not use that attribution as endorsement of your product by the authors of the component that you're including. Let's give a concrete example. Okay, so I'm building, let's say, a, um, a drawing app, okay? And I include an open source component, maybe a JPEG library, a library for opening JPEG images in my drawing app, okay? And I have to, by the terms of, let's say, it's licensed under a BSD three clause license, I have to give credit to the original authors, say, hey, you know, I'm including this open source component that's written by these original authors, right? But I, what I can't do is say, well, obviously I include this awesome component, so my software is so great, it's being basically endorsed by the authors of that open source JPEG library that I'm including in my product. So you can't make it sound like just because you're including a component that the authors of that component are somehow endorsing your project. So it kind of protects the original authors from having their name misused. So, but still very permissive. I mean, other than that, it's exactly the same. It's literally just one extra clause from the BSD2 clause license. And the BSD2 clause license is basically the same as the MIT license. And we talked about how permissive the MIT license is. So these permissive licenses really give you a lot of leeway to basically do whatever you want with open source components that are licensed under them in your own software. But you just need to be careful that you do proper attribution. And I think that's the main thing that people get caught up in not doing right is, is the attribution part. So I've seen various different ways that people have done this attribution. I mentioned a couple earlier that, you know, maybe if it's a Mac app, you include the attribution in a readme file. Um, another common place I've seen in Mac apps and iOS apps as well is the about screen. So in the about screen or the about dialogue, include a list of all the open source components that you're including and give credit to whoever wrote them. And if they require that you restate the license like the MIT license does, you actually need to write the text of the MIT license somewhere in your about screen. It doesn't need to be super large. It doesn't need to be, you know, there's no requirement to the MIT license of what font size you need to print this in, but it needs to be there. And there's other places I've seen it. Some, some apps like games especially have a credit screen, right? That's an obvious place to put open source um, licenses and credits into a credit screen, right? I've seen some apps do it in a setting screen. That's perfectly valid as well. Um, in general, this shouldn't be in a place that's going to, I think, confuse your users, right? You don't want your users to be bombarded by something, some very technical legalese license that is gonna just make them feel alienated or make them feel um, like they're reading Greek. Um, this is just there to do your part as a proper 
member of the open source community. This is not there to be a burden. And really, it's not such a burden to include, you know, this little uh, license and, and copyright notice somewhere in your project. Now, a couple other licenses you might hear about. Um, the Apache license is very, very common amongst corporations. Apple uses it in some of the open source software they release. Of course, the Apache Software Foundation, that's where it originates, who makes that great web server. Um, there's a lot more terms to the Apache license. It is a permissive license, first of all. So it's not in the copyleft camp. It's, it's a permissive license is in the camp of MIT and BSD licenses. But on the other hand, there's a lot more legalese in it. And I'm certainly uh, not somebody who knows or understands all the details of the Apache license, so I don't want to comment too much on it. But I will say there are a couple more requirements um, that you need to adhere to when using software that's licensed under the Apache license. So you should be aware of that. So don't just think because it's a permissive license that it's as permissive as the MIT license, because the MIT license is really about as permissive as it gets. Another li another license, but it's not really a license. It's more of a um, it's more of a non-license. Is public domain. What does it mean for something to be public domain? Well, my understanding is that it basically means um, I'm putting this out there and I am saying that I don't want any um, any restrictions on it whatsoever. You do whatever the heck you want with it. You, you don't come back to me and don't say to me like, hey, you like, you know, you hurt me by putting this out there. But, you know, I'm not I'm not explicitly taking responsibility for it. Basically, I'm, I'm saying that I don't want responsibility for it. I'm saying the opposite, really. I'm saying I want you to be able to do whatever you want with no restrictions whatsoever. And if it's public domain, you don't even need to give me credit. So if you include a public domain component inside your app, um, then you do not need to worry about putting that author's name and there is no license, so you don't need to put a license in, in your credit screen or about screen or whatever. It's pretty rare I, to see um, iOS or Mac open source components that are public domain. I have come across it before, but um, it's really the ultimate, right? You do whatever you want. Why do people release under the MIT license and not public domain? Maybe because they do want that little bit of credit, right? They want that little modicum of credit so that we don't have situations like the RunKit async situation that we talked about earlier. Now, all everything we've been talking about applies to open source software, but it also applies to other assets that might be released under these licenses that you might come across. So you could come across images that are released under a similar license. I've seen images be released under MIT license. Um, you could come across images that are in the public domain. That's really the best, right? You don't need to worry about anything when you come across a public domain image. You can just put it anywhere in your software and that's it. So be aware that copyright and licensing restrictions are as relevant to sound files, image files, text files, any kind of files that you include in your software as they are to open source source code as well. One great resource for public domain images is a website I've come across over the years called Open Clip Art. If you need some, some little line drawing and it doesn't need to be super sophisticated, you should check out Open Clip Art because everything on that site is licensed under the public domain. So not licensed at all really, right? 
still nice if you can give credit to the original author. I mean, I think that's a nice thing to do, but you don't have to. And especially if this is for a commercial project. So if you're doing a consulting project that's for, let's say, some big corporation, like you're doing a uh, consulting project for Subway or something, I don't know. And you're making an app for them and maybe they don't want you to have this huge credit screen uh, with all these ridiculous sounding online usernames being credited for every little image that's inside the app. So in cases like that, you these public domain uh released projects and images are really a big boon. Another thing you should be aware of is that anything released by the American federal government, by the U.S. federal government, is released by default under the public domain. Um, Again, I'm not a lawyer, so don't take that 100% without checking on it yourself. But that's my understanding. So if NASA takes a photograph, right, if NASA has a photograph uh, that they've taken, not that's come from some corporation that they're showing, but that's actually a NASA photograph. NASA is a federal government organization, and therefore that photograph is in the public domain. That's my understanding. Again, I am not a lawyer. That could be incorrect information, so double check it before you go and make a whole app of beautiful images from the International Space Station. Okay. So we've talked about really three different kinds of licenses now. We've talked about copyleft licenses like the GPL. We've talked about permissive licenses like the MIT license and the BSD license. And we've talked about public domain, which is really the lack of any license whatsoever and saying instead that I am uh, withdrawing all of my rights to whatever I'm putting out there. These are three different licenses and you need to be aware of every component that you include in your software, whether that be another open source component or image files or audio files, like we talked about, what license it's released under. Now, the, we also mentioned at the very beginning of the episode that if there is no license, you shouldn't include that component at all because then that software or that image or whatever is by default just covered by the author's copyright. And so to use that software that has no license, you could, even though it's open source, you could be committing copyright infringement. So be aware. Uh, And one thing I've done is when I come across a project on GitHub that doesn't have a license, I open up an issue on GitHub and I say, hey, just friendly, you know, you've got no license. Why do you not have a license? You really should have a license so that other people can actually understand what they can do with what you've released. It can get pretty tricky if you you don't have a license and you include software. What if later on the guy says, you know what? Actually, I wasn't. That's not released under the MIT license. That's still my copyright. So you're including that in your software. Uh, you're stealing from me. I can sue you. Again, I, how often do these open source uh, lawsuits actually happen? Uh, when it's a small guy without a legal team, and we're talking about um, legalese across borders and across uh, the internet. I think it's pretty hard to enforce a lot of these intellectual property rights and a lot of these licenses, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't be a good member of the open source community. If you're going to release your own project into the open source world, I've done that before. It's very common now for every iOS developer to have something on GitHub, right? You should think carefully about what license you want to release your open source project under. If you want to release under the GPL, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it might lead some people to not want to use your software component because they don't want to be quote unquote infected by the viral license. But it's also very protective of you because it's saying if anyone includes this, 
and builds upon it, um, they're going to have to release their improvements too into the open source world. And so it's a way of protecting the investment you've put into that software for, um, for the greater good. So, you know, that, that, I think that's totally a valid decision to make to, to release your, your open source project under the GPL for, for the protection uh, basis. That said, there are some corporations who avoid the GPL license components with a 10-foot pole. Rightly so, right? They don't want to be infected by that viral license. And so if you want the widest adoption, you should look for the, the MIT license if, because that's really, I would say, the gold standard right now in the iOS and Mac world. The vast majority of components you come across are MIT licensed because people want that permissive uh, atmosphere around their project. They want to not be worrying about what kind of encumbered rights um, this component that they want to include comes with. So let's just take a pause right now, and I'm actually going to go on to GitHub. I'm going to look at Swift open source projects, okay, trending Swift open source projects. I'm going to look at the trending projects over the last month. I'm just going to give you a really quick count of how many are under which license. Okay, so I've been looking on December 19th, 2015, at the top 25 trending over the last month Swift projects on GitHub. And I've done a tally of what licenses they're under, just to give you some context. I've been telling you along this episode that the MIT license is the most popular. Out of the 25 projects, 18 were under the MIT license. So that's a huge number. That's the vast majority. What you know? That's uh, incredible amount. So that, that's basically the standard bearer of open source licenses on Swift, which is you know iOS and Mac projects. Interestingly, there were only two copy left um, projects, and those were Material Kit and Perfect which are both released under the AGPL. And those are pretty popular projects. So if you're including those in your software, make sure that you're very aware of that, of that fact, that Perfect and um, Material Kit are both released under the AGPL. So the AGPL is a variant of the GPL. So it's a copyleft license. And there's those two big projects in the top 25. Um, then the other licenses are actually three projects under the Apache license including the popular project iOS Charts and SPM, the Swift Package Manager, which is released from Apple. We mentioned earlier uh, in the episode that Apple has released several pieces of software under the Apache license themselves. So there's one of them, SPM, released released under the Apache license. And finally, there was one three-clause BSD license. So that's very similar to MIT, but as we mentioned earlier, also has that no endorsements clause. And then there was one project, which I'm calling a project and not an open source component because it's actually just a language guide written in Mandarin that, from as far as I can tell, I don't speak Mandarin, um, didn't seem to have any license file included with it at all. So uh, it seems to me that that guide is actually not licensed at all, which maybe the author doesn't care as much because that's just really a text document and not not an open source component as much per se. But... Anyway, so again, the count out of 25 trending Swift projects over the last month, MIT 18, AGPL 2, Apache 3, and BSD 3 Clause 1, and No License 1. Does that add up to the right number? Yes, it does. 25. Great. So very interesting. But basically, that tells us the MIT license is the default 
under um, iOS and Mac projects. Of course, it's not a scientific survey. Uh, and the other, the other licenses are kind of um, a little weird to come across. So something to keep in mind when you release your own project. Anyway, uh, that's all I've got for you this month. I've got some great interviews in the new year coming up that I'm super excited about. And I think you're absolutely going to love. Um, you know, we, we couldn't have asked for better guests so far, but uh, these guests we're going to have in 2016 are, are really great consultants. And also some, we even, we're even going to have somebody from uh, a company that builds tools for consultants as well. So that's pretty exciting. Uh, so I'm super excited about that. We're going to keep on this monthly schedule. You'll hear from me again in January. Um, and if you like the show, please do me a favor. I know you're listening on Overcast because the statistics show from SoundCloud that the vast majority of you are listening on Overcast. But if you're caring at all about the show, please go on iTunes and leave Consult a positive review. If you like the show, that's okay. You can leave a negative review too if you want to. I think any reviews help, but you know you can also just send me the negative comments um, on iTunes because that's how a lot of people find podcasts. Uh, I think the Overcast audience, a lot of them are coming through Twitter and Overcast, of course, gives Twitter recommendations to uh, to you about what your friends have recommended on Twitter. Um, and maybe that's how Consult is getting a lot of its audience. But I'd love to build the audience in the iTunes podcast directory. So if you could, please go on iTunes and rate the show. If you have feedback about the show, please tweet me. My Twitter handle is Dave Kopeck, D-A-V-E-K-O-P-E-C. I would love to hear from you, both good and bad. Show notes are at consultpodcast.com. And I want to thank you for listening because it's been a real pleasure uh, having you on the podcast the last six months or so. Eh, maybe not quite six months. Yeah, almost six months. And um, I hope to bring you some even better episodes in the new year. So happy holidays. Have a great and happy new year. And I'll see you in 2016.